Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hey guys, today we welcome a fellow collector named Nick, who you may better know as Cartier Watchnerd on Instagram. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks guys, I'm glad to be here. All right, let's get straight into it. So actually, you know, when I saw that you were in um, Asia, I was like, oh, you know, another Asian dude, we're going to do an interview here. And as soon as you popped up uh, on Zoom, I recognized you're a Caucasian guy. So tell me, what brings a Caucasian guy into Asia and where are you specifically? You know, I get that quite a lot. Like I've, I've gone and met <laughs> different people and they, they all think I'm, I'm Chinese or something. Sometimes they write me messages in, in Chinese and send me podcasts in different languages thinking that I can understand. And then I surprise them. So um, guys, look, I'm originally from um, Perth in Australia. So um, grew up there my whole life and decided that I wanted to come to Asia, start a new life. Um, what was about four years ago? So currently now living in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And loving Can it. Can I ask like what what made you come? Like, yeah. I think it was like for me, I always wanted to to live somewhere in Asia. And I, I never just had the guts to do it. And look, I'm I'm 30, 39 this year. So I, I moved over here quite late in my um career in my life. Um and I just I think 2018 came. I was coming over to Malaysia quite a lot. I had a few friends and, and here and there was different events on. And I think I came to KL about nearly eight times that year because um, it's quite close to Perth. It's like a five-hour flight. And I just fell in love and I thought now is the best time. At that stage, I was single. I had no real commitment. So I thought, why not? Let's just find a job, pack up and move over. So I went looking. I went looking for a job. Um, Luckily, uh, something came up and I knew one of the managers in the company in Australia. They put me in contact with the guy in Asia and then the rest is history. Can I ask, of all the places in Asia, why KL? I get that all the time. So look. I know I'm a broken record sometimes. (laughs) Singapore was, was an option as well. But look, what I was looking for was an adventure. I wanted something that was a bit different to Australia, um, whereas Singapore look, it's, it's probably very similar to my life that would have been in Perth. Um, what I wanted was something a bit different, something a bit more raw, something where I'd have to learn from scratch how to um, live in a new sort of country and something that wasn't 100% sort of Western. And I think KL Malaysia is probably the next best thing. So it's still very Westernised. Everyone here speaks English um, and there's so many different cultures and, and so many things to learn. Um, and I wanted I wanted to come somewhere where it's not perfect. There's not like Singapore. There's so many different rules. Everything just works smoothly. Whereas Malaysia, it, you have to be very patient sometimes. Um, and I wanted that. I wanted that challenge. I wanted to be thrown in the deep end. I wanted to start afresh, put everything I knew about life in Australia behind me, and and try something different. Um, and look, KL, like I said, it, it was very easy to move here. I already had networks here and had friends. I knew how to get around. So it was a lot easier than me maybe, say, moving to was it like Thailand or um, Vietnam, China even. Okay. So now that you have actually made the move, was it everything that you thought it would be? It was. Look, 
to be honest, the first year was amazing. Um, 2019, I was seeing Malaysia. I was traveling around Southeast Asia, making new friends. It was a 2020 came though, and it was a different story. So I was stuck in a in a new country, and there was lockdowns, and there was all the pandemic sort of stuff happening. But to be honest, like I look back, and it was actually actually been a really good experience. Um, one of the other good experiences is I actually met my my now my now wife. So um, I've married a Malaysian girl, which I met over here. So I, I can't ask for anything more. Like I've I've got a good job. Um, I live in a great city. I've met my wife. So yeah, I'd say every everything that I hoped has, has actually turned out. Great. Well, that's um, that's really good. I'm happy to hear it. Um, so getting onto watches, you're called the Cartier watch nerd. So it's probably no surprise that you are completely into Rolex. (laughs) Completely. (laughs) Right. That you're into Cartier. So, uh, I know that you're particularly looking forward to, you know, converse with Jacqueline on on this call, but what was the first Cartier that got you hooked? It was actually quite a simple one. So it was the tank solo, just, just a simple stainless steel quartz model. And as soon as I put that on and as soon as I purchased it, it just opened this huge, big rabbit hole. I wanted to know every little thing there was about Cartier. I was looking at all the different shapes, designs. I was hooked from day one. Um, before, before, I was, before I got into Cartier, I was always like a, a diver. I had the Submariners. I had the Datejusts. I had Amiga. And look, I was satisfied with that. But I put on the Cartier, I just realized that I think my style is more of smaller, dressy watches. More simple in um, the mechanic side, but more about the, the class, the style, and what, and what I really liked about Cartier was that it comes with such a huge, big history. But like there's so many different stories and um, ideas around each and every single design. And you can go back 100 odd years and, and there's just so much to learn. Um, and it's also, it's also a, um, a brand where, to be honest, I learn something every day. Like Cartier is my thing. But even now I look on Instagram and I see some watch that I've never seen before. Um, different colors, design, sometimes even different shapes. So it, it's one of those um, brands where you, you, you definitely fall in love. It's hard to explain, but that one watch just opened up this huge, big world of collecting for me. So I have a question straight away, which is, you know, Cartier is one of those brands, which is if you can afford a Rolex and Omega, actually Cartier is well within that reach you know, it's in that segment. Mm-hmm. What actually stopped you from like trying that, you know, Cartier on before, you know, the Rolex divers and the Omegas? Because I remember when I first started, and I know it's not representative of everybody, I, I you know, I had a, a budget, which was about that kind of budget you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what can I get for this? In a, you know, from a, a good brand. And I went to Omega, went to Rolex, looked at Cartier, um, tried on the Santos actually. So, you know, I was already exposed to Cartier. What actually, how come you didn't do that? I think a lot of it was the hype sort of at the time, like everyone was talking about Rolex and there was always that whole big watch sort of mentality, like wearing 40 to 42 sort of millimeter is very rugged and manly. 
I sort of, I think I sort of just fell into that sort of hype sort of thing. And I didn't really look outside. Like at that stage, I wasn't even looking at dress watches. So like even like Patek and some of the other big ones, it was all just sports watches, diving watches, that rugged manly sort of um, watch that fits that sort of stereotype. Um, even though I look back at my, my dad's sort of watches as well, they're all very similar. They're all divers, like you, he had tags, Amigas, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it was sort of that whole, the stereotype and then what I was used to from obviously what my dad and even my grandfather was collecting. I never even really thought to look at it. And, and to be honest, like even in the circles that I was sort of in, like Casio was always looked down as a jewelry brand there's they're not a watchmaker so it's something that obviously I never even looked at and my friends at the time like they would never you'd never see them in a Cartier watch it was always like your Rolex your Migas tags even back even back then so um yeah look, I just turned a blind eye to be honest um I obviously started collecting more and more different watches. I spent a lot more time in different ADs at that stage. And that's where I came across Cartier. And I actually took the time to do a bit more research and put it on my wrist. And I don't know, something just sort of clicked. It just, I just felt like, to be honest, it was very hard to go back to those larger watches. Like I've got a pretty small wrist, what is it, 6.75? And I could pull off a 40 or a 42 millimeter, but after wearing that Katia, I just felt, wow, this is this is nice. It's nice having a smaller watch on the wrist. Okay. So you mentioned that Cartier in itself is like its own universe. Do you exclusively collect just Cartier now? I would say my collection right now is 95% Cartier. I have I've got like a Rolex Explorer, which I wear like as a more of a daily sort of beta sort of thing, but then the rest of it is Cartier. Okay, so I, yeah, what is in that collection that is really special to you? So, um, I'm I have I actually picked up a watch this year, earlier this year, which is one that means the world to me. So I was lucky enough to um, be allocated a Cartier Pebble, so the the new re-edition Pebble that they launched. Um, look, I was always interested in that shape, and it was one of those those watches that you knew that you would never have a chance of owning. There was what is it six watches around the world that we know of. And you'd see the auction prices that were coming. It was just some crazy sort of prices that were there. And then when Cartier announced it late last year, I was so happy. And I knew I had to have it. So lucky. So look, I've got a really good relationship with the boutique. And um, they were happy to allocate it to me. So yeah, that, that's one of my most special watches. It's one that I don't wear too often. It, it's one that I sort of have for special occasions. But it's one that's getting a bit of wrist time at the moment. I've got it on at the moment. So, it scratches nice. so easily, right? It, yeah. That's 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 one of the reasons why yeah. I'm not wearing it that often. Because yeah. even if you wear it under a sleeve, I'm sure that it would start scratching up. Yeah, like like very small, minor hairline scratches, just just because of the case. So look, I I'll be honest with you, I baby my watches. I I don't want them to get scratched up. Um, it's hard to say. Look, I actually enjoy. I'm looking at my my some of my collection now, and I actually just enjoy looking at them sometimes more than even just wearing them um so like the the pebble for me is like one of those pristine sort of safe queens that I, i'll bring out some time but not going to be wearing it every single day yeah um i've seen some i've seen some pebbles that people have received maybe over the last few months and yeah i can see like some of them are quite scratched up already yeah. 
but I think some people don't mind the patina to it. If you look at those old vintage um, pebbles, like they're all scratched up and they actually look pretty cool. So outside the pebble though, so I've I've got I've got a quite a look my my collecting methodology. I'm really trying to look at collecting as many of the shapes, the iconic shapes as possible. Um, I think when I started collecting um, Cartier, it was more about quantity over quality, and what I mean by that was I was just purchasing all of the regular production watches I could, all the stainless steel watches. Um, and I think that was because they were accessible. It was obviously quite a good price point. Like if you look at a stainless mm -hmm. steel Cartier, like it, it, you can go in and, and buy something. It's not going to add a huge big dent to the wallet and got to that sort of stage. And then I was thinking to myself, what's next? And I thought, I have a great collection, but I want to start looking at maybe more of those sort of exclusive, iconic, rare sort of pieces that not everyone has. So I started going out and um, I picked up probably the, the next sort of um, special piece that I picked up was the Tank Louis, um, the, the rose gold with the Gillesche dial. Yeah. And that that's a watch that I purchased that I, I purchased them to sort of make memories with that watch. Like I like the whole having a watch that has some sentimental meaning behind it. And it was something that I wanted that was iconic, that was timeless, and that potentially one day, if I ever had kids, I could pass down. Um, so that look, that's obviously one of the, it's still a regular production watch, but it's one of my most treasured sort of watches at the moment. I wore it when I um, proposed to my then girlfriend, wore it on my wedding day. So that's a watch that's seen many different sort of memories. And then um, started looking at other sort of ones. So I've got like a, um, a Tor 2 CPCP, unfortunately not the Mono Pusher, which is one that's definitely on my grail list. Um, I, I picked up a, a Ronde um, Louis Cartier. Obviously Cartier is not known for round watches at all, but I think they do them very well. And I wanted to add a round watch to the collection. And what I liked about the, the Ronde, it still had that sort of vintage look. It's got the Breguet style hands. It's got that grainy eggshell dial. Mm. Um, and then, and my other, my other one that I'm, I really love is I picked up one of the um, Santos Dumont lacquer dials from last year. Oh, that one is old. so nice. <clears throat> that one is so I, nice. To be honest, at first I wasn't that interested. I never saw it in person. I could just see the renders. I saw some pictures online. But I think it's one of those watches that you need to see in person because photos don't do it justice at all. Um, and you see it, and it's just amazing, like the lacquer, like the lacquer on the, on the actual dial, on the on the bezel, it just works. The, yeah. the rose gold is my favorite. Yeah, um, I have a question. So, Nick, um, I was wondering if you've ever conversed with people um, obviously now you're based in Asia, but have you ever conversed with, uh, Cartier enthusiasts in the States? Um, and, uh, has the topic of, um, allocation come up in the conversation at all? I do. I speak to people all over the world. Um, I think a lot of the, um, people I do speak to are in the States and, and yes, they do talk about allocation and how hard yeah. it is sometimes to get some yeah. of these pieces. So, so um, to my knowledge, the lacquer dial rose gold Santos. So I'm, I'm in Boston right now mm -hmm. and okay. there's a really, you know, the, there's a big boutique here, but, um, watches. Yeah. Watches is not a big thing, um, in that mm -hmm. boutique. And so <clears throat> they're trying to actively build on it, 
But like, for example, for the Santos Dumonts, they only got one rose gold last year. Just for Boston? Just for Boston. They only got wow. one rose gold. And for the Pebble, um, they didn't even know that it was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, like nobody knew about it. I literally saw Instagram and I texted my friend. He's like, and he laughed. He was like, ha ha. He thought it was like a, like a Photoshopped watch. Um, and then only after like they made the announcement, he was like, oh yeah, we never got any like news about that watch. And even with the tank normal mm-hmm. this year, um, he was asking me like which one I wanted, but by by the time I gave them an answer, they were like, "Yeah, we can try." But I I was like, I heard that it's all sold out, so you don't even need to try at this point. I think it's all sold out at the moment. Um, and then I converse with people in Asia, like in Hong Kong and in Singapore. They're like, "Oh yeah, we got this number of this." So I don't know um, from what I've heard is that the allocation system for Cartier Asia and America is totally different. I know, for example, for China, for sure, like I know someone who um, can get whatever they want, almost whatever they want from the mm-hmm. current catalog. So, I mean, it's fine for me because um, I, I have uh, another relationship with uh, Cartier in Europe. But it's just like, if I didn't have that, I can't even get pieces that I want or, or um, you know, verbalize what my interests are. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think that's, that's true. Like, I think what happens is, like, the same in Australia, to be honest. Like, Australia are experiencing the same thing. Like, um, I've got a friend there who's trying to get the Black Santos Dumont, which is actually a regular production now. It's not even limited. And they're saying that they got one in the last two months. So it's very slow. I think what's happened, like, is there's some big regions, and Asia is one of those regions where the sales is, is crazy. There's a huge demand. Um, Singapore, Malaysia, I think, is even getting to that sort of stage where Katia's got a huge demand. People are wanting all these different watches. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure what Katia will do is they're looking at where they're selling these pieces and then they're allocating certain pieces for those markets where they know that they would sell. So I think it's unfortunate for some people, like, like for example, if you're in Boston and you're a big Cartier collection, then you're, you don't really have that much chance because you're competing with all those other regions which are demanding more and more of those pieces. So yeah. it's, it's a hard one. No, no, I th- definitely. I, I think, what, what's it like in other parts of the US though? Because I've got a friend in LA and he seems to be able to get pretty much what he wants. Like he's... He's got pebble, he's got all sorts of things. So it depends. Um, So first of all, like I'm not a big spender at Cartier. Like I don't buy their jewelry or uh, their other stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I have been told like if you were to buy other things that are not just watches, it could help you, help your case. But then my question, I, I, I went right back and I was like, but you guys didn't even know things were coming out. So how does that uh, even matter, right? Um, it doesn't make that much of a difference for me because I mostly like all the Cartier that I have are vintage, like 50 mm-hmm. years old and, and plus. So it doesn't like, I don't, I don't, you know, stress over it as much. Um, yeah. but I can imagine like, 
the reason why I asked that question is because I have had conversations with people in uh, North America and they have emphasized that it's sometimes it's even more difficult than Rolex or, or Vacheron or, or, or Patek mm-hmm. or AP because they just, they get zero uh, from but, one boutique. Yeah. Do you know what though, as well, like even say Singapore, Malaysia, like it's still, even though yes, we might be getting more pieces, but there's a lot more demand. So there are still a lot of people missing out as well because collectors are having to compete with more and more people to actually it's true. get one of those allocations. I think with Cartillo, it's, and look, I, I buy my watches from the boutique. I, I don't, I've only got one CPCP, which obviously I bought. I actually bought it in Boston, by the way, um, at European Watch Company. Yeah. So, but um, what, what I was saying with Cartier, and this is one thing that sort of made me obviously go all in with them as well, is I, I liked, I, and it might be different in the US, but here in Asia, like, how do I say this? It doesn't sound too cheesy. Like the relationship that I've managed to build with the boutique, it, it then now feels more like this family run business and you, you go into the boutique and you hang out with your friends and then they show you different yeah. watches or we, or we talk about different watches that are coming out. Um, and that, that was one of the, th- the reasons that I got into the brand because back then you look at Rolex, you look at Patek and it's a very different sort of customer service, a b- very different experience. If you're not one of those already BVIPs, then it's very hard to actually get anything. Whereas I remember the first day I went into Cartier and I was talking, they didn't, they weren't asking me to buy jewelry. They weren't asking me to buy anything. They, they wanted to find out a bit more about why I wanted to start collecting their brand and what pieces I was interested in. And, um, Obviously, then they I, I got allocated actually a piece. I never had any purchase history with the boutique, and I'm um, oh, sorry, I bought a Santos. But after that, they they allocated me one of and it was not that rare, but they allocated me one of the blue dial tank musts. And then from there, the, the relationship just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They could see obviously that I was really interested. I, I would spend time in the boutique looking at the watches, studying and wanting to learn more about them. And the relationships now sort of evolved um, so much so that you, I've met so many different people from our boutiques here in Malaysia. I, I've got to know the boutiques in Singapore um, and some like my sales assistant, um, she's, I regard her as one of my close friends. Like I always, I always worried that I'm, I'm annoying her, but she's like, Nick, I love talking about watches and love talking about your collection. So look, I think it's a different experience, maybe different countries as well. And, Maybe in Boston, um, they sell so much jewelry. So the sales assistants probably don't really know too much about the watches. Whereas I have a question, my, my... like your sales, associ- uh, sales associate, is she just for watches or is she also for jewelry? So she started probably more as more of a generalist, but then the, the watch scene here, especially the Katia scene is starting to get bigger and bigger. So she's now pretty much experienced in the watch side so okay. she's like our watch she's the go-to watch person here in um, what, the, the boutique that I go to okay and, and and I think she's thrown herself into it and that's probably why like myself and, and others here in Malaysia we get a very different experience to maybe what some other countries are like okay um, look I was in Korea recently and I went to the boutique and it was very similar Like they didn't really know too much about watches they had hardly any watches on display um, it, it was more about the jewelry and and their accessories, etc. Yeah, 
No, I think um, in Boston, it's everybody's in charge of everything. There's no, there are watch people, but those people are also in charge of jewelry. Like you can also ask them about jewelry. So, mm-hmm. um, but I do from my conversation with the uh, manager and the sales associate, they are trying to build up that um, community. Because Boston is becoming like the mini uh, Bond Street in 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 London, um, that street is all watches now. There, it's um, Cartier, Richer Mill, AP, Lange, uh, Vacheron is coming, Paddock is coming, Rolex, Grand Seiko. It's all going to be in one street. So they know that there is a growing community, and they're actively trying to build up, build build that up. Um, so I'm, I, I think it will get better. Um, but, you know, of course, there will be more demand in, in the future, I'm sure, which is a good thing. Um, I, we always like joke about it. We think Boston's getting overlooked sometimes and only like New York gets some of the allocations. I was shocked when they told me they only got one rose gold Santos Dumont. Yeah, of the entire catalog. That's crazy. Uh, yes, oh, so they didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't even get the platinum or anything. The entire catalog of last year's release, they got one rose gold uh, Dumont and one yellow gold chinois. Wow, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I went to. I was in Taiwan late last year. I walked into the boutique and they had chinois on on display. They yeah, were on the shelf. I could. No, I know there was there a platinum chinois just sitting there in Hong Kong. My friend texted it to me. I was like, wow. Wild. And then, then in Boston, you can hardly get one. Yeah. But do you I think, think that, like, sorry, do you think yeah. that you got in at the right time, Nick? You know, because honest, let's actually, say you did it now, would you still have the same luck, you know? Yeah, probably not. I actually probably was a little bit late into it as well. Like I probably would have been better if I started earlier. Um, I think now when I started, like Katia was still probably not as hyped as it When did you start it? Uh, just over probably two years ago now. Okay. So 20, 2019, 2020. Yeah. So it still was like, it was before the pandemic, before watch industry just went crazy. Um, look, it was starting to get a bit more traction, but nowhere near what it was like, especially like last year, it was just going crazy. Yeah. And even if you look at the vintage prices now, like again, like you CPCs back in the day, they weren't even really looked at. And, and now like you're struggling to find them. At a, at a decent price. So, um, yeah, Daniel, I think, yeah, from my experience, I think, yes, maybe now it may be harder, but Cartier is not like Rolex, not like Patek. You, you don't, you can still go in there. And I think if you've got, if you go to the right boutique and you speak to the right people and you can show that you want to build a collection, I think it's still possible. Um, Look, I've never been asked to, to buy anything, to go and buy jewellery, et cetera. Yes, that obviously helps. It shows that you're committed to the brand. But I think Cartier still do it very differently and you have a, a lot better sort of experience in their boutique than what a lot of the other brands are doing. Okay. So it's not impossible. Okay. I, I want to move on a little bit because I really want to ask this question because I want to yeah. see if it contrasts with Jack as well. But if I asked you to pick your top five Cartier lines... And then ask Jacqueline to do the same. I just want to see if it matches up and your opinions for putting like X line in and like not, or not putting it in. I'm, I'm a traditionalist. So for me, I like the old iconic sort of shapes. So I would say the tortoise 
be it the mono pusher or the normal one. Um, the cloche, Sintray. Look, I, I have to say crash because it's one watch that every card deck collector wants to obtain one day. And I'll, I'll say the pebble. Um, it was one of those unobtainable grails and now it's become obtainable. So yeah, I'll say those five. So just some more, recap, some more of the earlier sort of shapes. So, so we've got the um, Tortu. Yeah. The Kosh. Yeah. The Sintra. Yeah. Crash. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add the Pebble in as well. Okay. So no tank. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Actually. Yeah. Okay, let's take let's put the tank in instead of the pebble. Actually, I can't say a collection without the tank. I know I've got a I know I've got a um sin tray there, but to be fair, I need a tank in there as well. Okay, and Jack. Uh, tank, sin tray, crash, to know. Oh, nice. Ooh. Asymmetric. Ah, oh, oh, wow. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was debating between the asymmetric and the cloche. Yes, I, I love the cloche. But... But how do you find the asymmetric wears on your wrist? Uh, I've, I've yet... I've, I've tried one on, the, the modern one. I've never tried a vintage one on. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that the vintage ones were much, much better than the modern yeah. one without the three lug system. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I haven't tried a vintage. I've tried the modern. And for me, I find it wears a little large. It um, is especially large. At, especially at the long long ends. Yeah. Um, it, it pretty much hits the, the edge of my wrist. So it's, it's something that, yeah, I, have, I never, haven't really got into that shape for that reason. But maybe if I was to find a nice vintage smaller sort of a model it might have be a different story yeah i have the, the the cloche wears very well it's smaller than i thought it um, is. yeah mm. and but i but i do think like the cloche um it, it it is difficult to wear like it is an odd shape to to wear mm. you get a lot of stairs when, when you're wearing it yeah I think a lot of people don't understand the cloche. Like it's like, it, first of all, you can't tell the time normally. It's like, you got to turn your head a little bit just to read the time. Um, it's, it's a talking point. And that's, that's one I like, what I like Kartia as well. Like a lot of people, yeah, they've probably seen them, but they don't really understand them and they want to find out more and they're checking out your wrist, et cetera. Yeah. So I think you, you stand out in a sea of round watches or Rolex Amiga, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you say like, you know, one of the factors that makes you love Cartier is the the shapes. And actually, you know, as you curate your collection, it's about the shapes. It is. How about like Gilbert Albert at Patek? You know, he's also famous for for introducing shape into into watches. Is that something that you'd be interested in going towards? totally different sort of price points i would say as well um yeah, look to be honest i i haven't released i don't really know patek so i i would have to have a look and, and have a look at the different shapes it's, it's something i'm not that familiar with um i think for me i, I went all in cartier and just 
looked at the shapes and said, oh, I want to just create a Cartier shape collection. But look, saying that, I do appreciate other watch brands and other movements, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just because I'm all in Cartier doesn't mean that I'm not watching all sorts of watch content on YouTube or following all these other Instagram accounts that have a range of different sort of brands. But for me, my, my first love is Cartier. And, um, what, and as you progress through your uh, collection now, what is the one burning piece you want to add? So um, I have, I've, I actually got a Sintray come in. So I was lucky enough to be um, offered a special order. So I've, I've designed something. I'm waiting patiently. It should be here, I would say, August, September this year. So that one's crossed off the list. The next one, which is a bit of a grail at the moment, is actually the cloche like we've been speaking about. So I think that one there is a very iconic. It's one of the earlier sort of pieces that Cartier brought out. It's something I would definitely love to add. And the third one is a long-term one. It's I would love to be able to have it crashed one day. It's probably the end game sort of Cartier, I guess, you know, that everyone sort of looks at. However, I have to admit, getting the pebble sort of satisfies that little bit of an itch. And when I look at um, the, the crash right now, yes, it's quite rare, but there's so many pieces out there in the wild. You, you can do a special order if you're lucky enough to be offered. Um, whereas the Pebble, six watches originally and, and now only 150. So the, the Pebble is actually a lot more rarer than the crash. It's probably just not as known and not many people know of the Everyone knows what the crash is. Everyone knows the story, or they think they know the story behind the crash, the number of different stories out there. Mm. Uh, my next question, I guess, is actually towards Jack, because when we met Jack, you, you're very, very sight off, very strongly in Cartier. And then, you know, more nowadays, I feel you transition more into vintage paddock. Um, so, and you've also no. like experienced so many pieces no. at, at like Cartier. No. Oh, I just let me Cartier. finish the question. Let me finish the question. I mean, don't, don't ask me this question now. Ask me this question like in a week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I want to ask like, what is left in Cartier for you to experience? Because you experienced a lot there. And do you actually see yourself, okay, like gra not graduating, just, you know, moving into vintage because vintage paddock is such a drain on finances, right? Like, how is that going for you? What vintage paddock? I'm all about Cartier. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to hear. <laughs> ask me, ask me this question in th after three days, and I'll answer it. But right now, I'm all about Cartier. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but but in all seriousness, um, what is left? Ah. Uh, to be honest, I've like I'm dubbed a vintage person. Um, I, some of the modern iterations are really really nice, but the um, the sizes are, are are too large for me to wear. Mm -hmm. And then there are uh, models like the Crash that you simply you know it's out of my finance <clears throat> finances um, reach for the vintage like London crashes. So for those ones, you know, you have to go with the modern iterations. Um, but other than that, you know, the history, the design, I'm recently caught the shape bug with vintage paddock. Um, and those are, I feel, um, 
bring me back the same type of joy as I felt with uh, vintage Cartier, like before COVID and the hype picked up. Um, but other than that, you know, I agree with what Nick said. It's what is left for there to explore with modern brands is usually the people that you associate with or that you deal with um, on a regular basis when it comes to purchasing from that brand. You know, the people make it an enjoyable or not so enjoyable experience for you. And, you know, even though Cartier Boston is, you know, getting its way there with watches, but I totally understand what you mean, Nick, um, because I have felt that with other like modern brands and it really is a family. So, so for me, um, moving forward, it's, you know, I, I want to, uh, with modern Cartier, if I can get certain pieces that I really want, of course I'll get them. Um, and then focus on, on vintage. That's still, that's still where my heart, uh, lies. And then with vintage paddock, you know, nothing really in the current catalog interests me. So for me, it's, it's just all vintage with Cartier. There's like still some that interests me in the modern catalog, but paddock there's like almost zero, none. Yeah. Jacqueline, you know, with the modern catalogue, like, are you, like, obviously, you're, you're a big fan of vintage, and vintage Cartier is completely different. You've got Guilherme, you've got Breguet style hands, you've got, like, with the modern sort of design language now, it seems to have moved a lot to, like, the sunburst style. This year, it looks like they, they're going more yeah. to the brush styles. What, what, what do you think about them? I, I'm not a big fan. Like, uh, yeah. I'm... I'm doing a few uh, special commissions and all of them are, have flat dials. I don't, I don't have any sunburst dials on any of them. Um, and I don't think there's a sunburst dial on a, actually, no, 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 there is on a crash because I feel like Waze crash is sunburst but that glows in the dark. So that's pretty mm. cool. But if I, if I were to have it, I would still go flat dial with those and mm-hmm. um, yellow gold, because that's the traditional, that's the traditional metal. Whereas now like with crashes, um, you can't even get yellow gold. You can, you can do rose gold and you can do white gold. They don't even allow you to do yellow gold in a special order because that's kind of like the classic iconic uh, material for that watch. So I wish I've actually seen I've actually seen some yellow gold a yellow gold one was it last year in the Middle East yeah but so so the thing is yeah they don't do you cannot make a yellow gold white dial you can make no. colorful ones but you yeah. cannot make the iconic white dial yellow gold so so that's like the only limitation uh in regards with that but um which I think you can argue both ways. I don't know if the crash necessarily looks very good with very, like a lot of colors on the die. I feel like it kind of takes it away from the classic iconic image of that watch. But um, I I hope that they can do more flat dials in the future because I, I, I know that they're trying to appeal to the more young generation with the sunburst and the um, brushed, but in my in my mind, it just doesn't kind of takes it away from what makes Cartier Cartier. 
I agree. Um, when I get my special order, I'll, I'll show you. It, it's very much the the vintage sort of CPCP sort of design, and that, that's my favourite sort of era. It's look Sunburst. If I had to rate them, like I would obviously go Gilleshe first. Um, Sunburst definitely overbrushed though. I, I can't get into this brush style. Look, yeah, I love the normal, but the brush style just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Well, Nick, I have to say that has been the easiest interview ever. Because I swear, like, you went through some of those questions that I'd written in pretty much, like, chronological order without even being privy to the questions, right? Wait, actually, that it shouldn't have been the easiest interview ever because all three of us here have Cartiers and you're the only one who doesn't have a Cartier. So, like, maybe What's we can do with it? help you... <laughs> maybe we can help convert well, you in some uh, sort of I, way. You know, I... I had a conversation with Nick, like obviously before this call, and I've never really considered Cartier. Uh, you know, at the beginning, it was that whole jeweler thing, right? Um, but like, it's not like I didn't try them on, but I, I can't, I don't think the brand is a right fit for me. Not that I think the brand's doing anything wrong, and in terms of the person, my personality, and how I am. And if I say, you know, I'm like, well, I guess it doesn't apply to you, Jack, but I really like Langer, right? Which is almost polar opposite in some ways to Cartier. Mm -hmm. When, but when I came to Philips though, I saw like vintage Cartiers there and I, you know, had a more opportunity to, to like play with them. And I saw some um, people coming in, putting them on. And I, and I saw a lady wear a bag noir. Right. And I held the bag noir in my hand and I thought, yeah, it's nice. But the Cartier pieces, you know, well, watches in general, if they are matched with the right person in the right, it's like a picture you see in your mind and you think, ah, that's how it is. That's how it, I get it. You know, it's a perfect match with that person. And that, I remember that lady putting it on. I was like, oh, wow. You know, I, I get that Cartier elegance that everybody like talks about. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had to look at some of the pieces and I have to say, uh, you know, tank classically traditional, I think great, but the asymmetry, uh, you know, when we talk about design, I still like that it's kind of, you know, rectangular shaped, but also I appreciate the way that that dial has been so carefully crafted because, you know, when you look at it very closely, it's all off, but when you look at it as a complete, it's completely balanced. So that piece I, I think is mm, pretty yeah high in my estimation so i was very happy when uh jack included it in the top yeah. five there can so, i just say something I, yeah. I have to disagree with like um i think the crash um it's one of the only few watches i've seen on literally anyone and i thought well it's made the person look better <laughs> like <laughs> even our mutual fat friend like a guy right I'm like, yeah, he looks a lot better with a watch on. You think? That's yeah, not what I you think told so. me. In the yeah, <laughs> I thought it was comical because he picked up the wrong one, right? But yeah, he bought the wrong one. Yeah, he bought the wrong one. But like with some watches, you're like, yeah, it just doesn't suit. Especially like, say, a Richard Mill. It doesn't go with a lot of people, right? But yeah. um, Crash, I'm like, yeah, I can see it from a a really young girl to a really old woman, a really young guy to a really old man. Like, looks good. Like, looks pretty good. Do you think, do you think if I put it on, it would look good? 
I think it looks good on anyone, honestly. Oh. But if you go back to our previous, it looks episodes, good on everyone because all you it, look at is the watch. Yeah. You don't even look at the person. The, no, she he looks at the person <laughs> Jack, because thanks. if you go back to the previous episode, he's like, there was this woman wearing this hublot, and God, it looked amazing. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, right. Um, let's move swiftly on to the reverso round, Nick. Um, shoot away. No worries. I've got I've prepared a question for each one of you. So, um, Daniel, what do you think is the biggest misconception about watch collecting, and how do you think we can address it? Hmm. I think to the layman term, like like a person that isn't into watches at all, I think probably the biggest misconception is that you need a lot of money to play into this game. And that's not true at all, you know, because, I mean, just off the top of my head, I, I met up with a collector recently. He's into, I don't know why, but he's into IWC's Porsche designs, right? Oh, wow. So he's just, I think he's almost amassed all of them, right? Because they came in so many different dial configurations. And this is a gentleman that actually has buying power way above that. He, you know, he buys above that, but he actually told me that with IWC Porsche design, he feels like how you found your love with Cartier, right? That he find he found it with this particular collection. And, and you know, that's all relatively affordable but even if that isn't <laughs> affordable you know there's seikos there's citizens there's you know a lot of micro brands your appreciation of uh watches doesn't have to be um i mean to be honest you don't even have to buy that many you know you can buy one or two and have a complete appreciation or try and appreciate watches you know, from the literature and the history side and the artistic side. So there is that conception. Oh, when you say watch collector, suddenly you think, oh, you know, you're doing all right. You know, it's, it's like a, a game which is money first kind of thing. So I would say that one, that first comes to mind. I think that's a good one. You, you always have that misconception though. It's pretentious and snobbery mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah, it's true. There's so many other watch brands out there that you can collect and you don't need a lot of money. Um, okay, so let me go to Lung Lung. So, I, have, um, I have a question for Lung Lung. Ask Lung Lung to, to no, describe her. No, 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 no. What's that? <laughs> Sorry, well, if you, no, I've been laughing throughout this episode because every time I look at Yeah, you know, you know, like I, I refrained from putting in the obvious question, right? I refrained from doing it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry, Nick. You can ask your question. Yeah, I just wanted no, to make Lala uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So, um, obviously, we've just been talking about Cartier. We've been talking mm -hmm. about obviously different shapes, and obviously, Cartier do sometimes make odd-looking watches. What, what's I'm the sorry. most unusual? What's the most unusual watch that you have ever seen or owned, and what made it stand out? I actually use like. Uh, top of my head i i think of cl the clash actually and you know i have this like like one of my biggest regrets i think two years ago was before like just after i learned about the cpcp from jack 
obviously you're like mind blown, like this exists. And like, why does no one know about this? Blah, 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 all this. Um, Dan was in Hong Kong. And then we went to the shitty, like, it's such a shit watch shop. Yeah. Cause I had like all the random watches from like fossil to everything. It was a mess. Yeah. And uh, they had like a, a, a category of like really nice paddocks in the back. Then I just thought, okay, what if the people that organized the store, because everyone was really old there, um, just thought the CPCP was a was a piece of like garbage and then put it with the fossils and whatever. So I went to the front and I looked and I found the the cloche, a CPCP cloche. And I was obviously shocked, right? Um, asked for the price. And I remember it was really, really low, like just above uh, 10K USD, about 12, I think. I remember... Um, yeah. You could have bought it on the spot. Yeah, I could have bought it on the spot. Yeah. And then I was like, let me get the WeChat. You could have and negotiated me- and then bought but on the spot. Yeah. What's crazier is they didn't even know what it was. But yeah. I think what gave it away was I asked so many questions on WeChat. Yeah. They must have immediately asked yeah. around like the other dealers and came back um, was like, hey, we changed the price and, and then added another 10K USD. Uh, yeah. And at that point, I hadn't gotten mine yet. So I was like, what is this? Like, is this even a thing? Because it looks like a tombstone, right? On the side. (laughs) So I was like, am I even going to wear this? Blah, blah. Uh, I forgot that they added money on it. I totally forgot that. They added another, because I remember we had cigars at night and they replied. And then I was like, yeah. That's the worst. What a find. That is an amazing find if you were able to buy that. Yeah, if I could go back time and actually just like, tr- I would say like, trust my gut. Like if I think something's cool, just get it. Instead yeah. of being like, what is this? Like, instead of being so logical about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Jealous. I'm very jealous. Yeah, no, I'm, I I'm jealous. On, I would have put it on the spot. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is another thing I often think about nowadays that I've completely lost what I used to have when I first started, which is my brain was so pure and it was not, uh, it wasn't influenced at all by what I read online. Cause I was like in my own little world. And if I thought something was cool, it was cool. The end. Mm. But now it's like, Oh, let me just check with this person, that person, like, is this a goodbye? And then, and then it just like, just ruins it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel worst enemies sometimes. Yeah. No worries. So, um, Jack, I thought I'd leave you to last because you're the Katia queen here. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you actually more about your collecting methodology and stuff, but I think you may have, may have already sort of answered that in our conversation about the shapes and, and the vintage sort of style. But so what, what I really wanted to ask you was, look, I am very much a modern sort of Katia sort of collector at the moment. Um, I've only really ever neo-vintage with a CPCP sort of tour too. Um, what sort of advice can you maybe give myself or maybe other sort of Cartier collectors about starting maybe at a vintage or investing in, in vintage sort of pieces? But for me, like I have no idea where to start or where to look, etc. cetera. Uh, it's just to be patient. They're just because it's so, it's such a different thing to modern mm-hmm. collecting. It's not, about the money it's not about the relationship it's just about i truly believe this it's just about being at the right place at the right time with vintage uh it's what long experience at that shop you know 
Like sometimes you just happen to stumble across pieces and you have no time to decide. You maybe have like an hour to make up your mind. You want it or no. And with vintage, there's no retail price. There's no uh, sticker price. It's it's whatever you feel um, that the watch is worth and if you're willing to pay that and 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 add it. And I feel like with modern uh, collecting across any brand, it's... Um, it, it makes more sense to have uh, a sense of a collection because it's all from the same catalog, you know, from one year or across different years. With vintage, you have to build it with intention and it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. It only makes sense to you and that's enough. So it's more of a tailored and, and personal thing, but at the same time, um, very difficult to to find quality pieces and and if you uh choose unwisely well not even unwisely but just if you do uh get caught with a piece that's been refinished or restored then you've kind of taken that hit right you can't it's very difficult to to sell it again um unless you know it's to people who don't care about about conditions so 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 with vintage it's it's more about i don't know like i just like old things to start off but in terms of collecting i like that um uncertainty and and um it's a different type of uncertainty than like let's say me asking an ad for one oh you may get it you may not for this one is like you don't even know what you're gonna get or you're what you're gonna be offered and that's exciting to me yeah so i think i think i've heard before you say jacqueline that you had like a bit of a list of what you're sort of looking for but do you when you go out do you deviate from that list if you find something interesting or how do you sort of hunt for these sort of models <clears throat> I think every every one of us uh, we all have a list um but when things come up just completely unexpected you you have to make that decision right there and then and 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 uh and, and it's so stressful at times because maybe that's my personality but w- mm. when I come across something and let's say like it's at a different country or the dealer doesn't even speak English I get so stressed out and I can't even sleep. I'm like, how do I make this work? How do I make this work? And when I get the watch in the end, the journey is done. But I will always remember like where I was when I found it, how the conversation went. Did I call him or her up? Um, all like the negotiation process. Um, like that's what sticks most clear to me. The watch itself is just you know, it, it, it's just a possession. It, it doesn't mean that much. Um, but I, I derive more fun from from the finding um, part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Long. Okay. Uh, wait, I just wanted to say, like, so, because there's such weird people like you in this world, like, I always feel so lucky, like, you're my friend. Because, like, I do not enjoy doing this kind of stuff. And then I can, like, outsource it to you, basically. Yeah. No, it's... It, it, sometimes I'm like, why do I get myself in these stressful situations? Yeah. Uh, when you say uh, that, it always resonates with me. Because, yeah. like... I get yeah. these phone calls and I'm like, yeah, I got myself into this mess. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I, you listen to it and you think, how 
did you get into that? And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not that easy to get out of it, is no, it? <laughs> no, but like it comes to an end and you get the watch and you're happy, but like yeah, it's yeah. just stirring. Yeah. You're like, you're so in so much pain and you can't sleep. It's I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it to, to everyone. Well, I, I will say a lot of your experiences that you, sh- you know, shared with me, which I'm grateful for, has become a, a memory for me, you know, like between it's us become a lesson so learned yeah lesson as well yeah lesson as well hey before we go into quick fire like yeah. i wanted to ask nick earlier on because he got married like during his time in malaysia right um did your wife ever get into watches then no not really so okay. look you she, that with she sadness. Also has, well actually is it sadness or is, am i glad am i glad <laughs> it'd be a lot cheaper but look she um she actually has a really small wrist and she struggles especially like with the leather sort of straps like there's not, n- never enough holes so mm-hmm. either we have to go and get like a um, custom strap etc yeah. etc and then we, when you got the bracelets like you, you can't take off enough links for it to fit her wrist unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah so um look she I think she's learnt to appreciate watches since being with me. Mm-hmm. Um, she she wears an Apple Watch at the moment, as content with that. So um, no, she's not into watches, but she always looks excited whenever I show her photos or mm-hmm. she she catches me playing with my watches. Mm-hmm. I think she's just got. I think she just understands it now and doesn't okay. seem to ask too many questions. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. That's a, a good a good uh, place to be. Yeah. Right. We'll go into the uh, pump push around. Right. So this was actually asked by the guest before you. What keeps you up at night in terms of what makes you a little anxious, your insecurity? What is that that keeps you up at night? I am a worry person by nature. So sometimes you've got the stresses of work, you've got... I might be sitting there looking at um, watches and stuff and thinking about which one I want to get next, et cetera, et cetera. I've got so many thoughts running through my head. I'd say most of the time, though, it would be um, work and the many sort of stresses that happen throughout the day. Mm. Okay. Next one. What are the failures you cherish the most? Failures. Wow, this is this is a very hard question. It Dan. is. Um, look, I think there's obviously growing up, you're young, you're young and stupid, and you make many different sort of mistakes across the line. I think for me, when I was young, went crazy spending money on cars and motorbikes and trying to sort of <laughs> fit into the to the whole sort of stereotype again. Um, and I look back at that; it taught me quite a lot. It obviously taught me about obviously managing finances about trying maybe not trying to keep up with the guys next door mm. um I, i'd say that it, it may be more the, my whole sort of youth like obviously I, I made so many mistakes across the along the way and um i think that i have learned from those mistakes a lot and it's turned me into the guy that i am now but i look back at maybe different mistakes and different things that i did and i don't regret anything um, and I think as long as it, uh, failure teaches you something and you move forward with it, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. Right. What is the most difficult decision you've made in life to date? Damn, these are heavy. Yeah, Daniel, these... They're very heavy. Right. Um, now he can't but... sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to be thinking about this. Um, to be honest, like moving to Asia, like as much as I really wanted to do it, um, I was 
was my 30, I was in my mid thirties. It, it was a bit of a risk. Like I was basically packing up my whole life in Perth and like I sold everything, I sold my house, I sold all my furniture, my car, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there was that, well, it was quite a difficult thing and it was the unknown. Um, yes, in my mind, I was confident and I knew that I'd be okay. But there was that little bit of worry if, what if I'm doing the wrong thing? What if I'm giving up a good career in, in Australia, selling a house I loved just to pack everything up into a suitcase and go across the world? Mm. Okay, something a bit lighter now. Okay, just off the top of my head. If you were to go back to Perth and you had to take one thing from KL, that is, you can't get in Perth, right? So it could be just off the top of my head, right? Yakult or something, right? What would you take? Well, I'm going to have to say my wife, just in case she's listening to this. Okay, yeah, um, okay. That point. aside. But other, other, but other than that, <laughs> I, I, am a, I am a big chicken rice fan. And if I could take... A, a chicken rice sort of chef or have, have a supply of chicken rice from Malaysia, from KL, which if any Singapore people are listening, KL chicken rice is so much better. Yeah, I was like, they're going to be offended. <laughs> I know they, they're definitely going to be offended. Um, chicken rice. I, I love chicken rice. It's, I know it's such a basic sort of meal, but it's that, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I'd say chicken rice. I'll take that okay. back. You can't get the same chicken rice in Perth. Okay. Mm. Mm. Next one, also a bit lighter. Um, what was the last thing you did to help somebody? Wow. Um, help people nearly every day. I'm just trying to think of something now. Um, I think that's a good answer. I, like you help people unknowingly. You don't know if what you did help people. I work in the recruitment industry. So on a day-to-day -day basis where we're, we're helping people find their career, yeah. their, their, their dreams, or we're, we're working with clients and, and finding them a candidate that they've been looking for for, for months. Um, so obviously, yeah, today was, I, I was working today. So it was um, obviously working in this recruitment industry and, and, and helping those sort of people. That's cool. Okay. Last question. Um, what is the question you want the next guest to answer? So you have to make a question. And after you've asked that question, answer it yourself. Daniel, you're the hard questions today. Wow. So it's a question that the next guest needs to answer. Yeah. And I also have to answer the question. Correct. About watches or anything. It can be anything, can it? Yeah, anything. Hmm. This is probably the hardest question I have to answer. I'm going to link it to, to maybe watches. Like say if you could go back in time and you could witness the creation of one watch. That's Ooh. good. Which, yeah. which watch would that be? Okay. And your answer? I have to say the Santos Dumont, the whole story behind that, the whole Albert Santos Dumont and the, and the flights. And I think to be a part of that process would be amazing. Yeah. Like to be there when 
Albert Santos is talking about what he wants and how he needs a wristwatch and, and Louis, Louis Cartier designing all this thing. I think that'd be awesome. Okay, that's a really good question. Yeah. And I did put you on the spot there. So well done for coming up with something so great. Um, well, that ends the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to interview you. Frankly speaking, it was so comfortable and so easy doing yeah. it. Like, I swear I you could almost run your own podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll get, I'll get you guys on that one day then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your time. And I uh, hope you have a good weekend. And to all the listeners, um, also have a good weekend. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. 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 As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.